This is the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Ashley. Together, we have been making money online collectively for over 10 years. Our mission is to help you start, learn, and grow a reselling business and to inspire you to turn your paycheck into a daycheck. The world is changing and we want to help you change with it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. Today's episode is going to be all about sharing the top mistakes that people make when they start selling on Amazon. Amazon is a different beast than if you are listening and just resell on eBay, Macari, Poshmark, maybe you sell locally. Amazon is just completely different and there are a lot of mistakes that people make that I feel like they could be avoided if they really took the time to learn the platform. And I think the biggest one with selling on Amazon is just having very unrealistic expectations. A lot of times people on social media are sharing their screenshots showing I made 50,000 this month. It didn't take me long. You just buy it, ship it in and that's it. And they really don't explain the behind the scenes things that go into being an Amazon seller. Yeah, I agree with that. There's so many ads out there, especially, you know, those ads on YouTube that you'll get if you start watching reseller content, um, like, you know, in front of their Ferraris or Lambos or whatever. And like, I made this in 24 hours. Like, okay, guy. Um, like the people love to oversimplify things because they want you to buy into whatever they're selling as well. But, you know, don't be fooled, obviously, like everything that is worthwhile is hard work and it takes time to get to that point. But uh, the next mistake that we have is people giving up too soon. Uh, it's a business and it takes time to get to a, the place that you want to be in. There's going to be failure. There are going to be mistakes that you're going to make. That's just part of having a business and doing something again that is worthwhile and worth building. People, I think, are... <sighs> I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I think that people uh, give up too soon in a lot of different things. They're, you know, relationships and jobs and I I mean, just so, so many things, Um, hobbies, uh, sports, whatever. Just because you're not good at something right away doesn't mean that you're going to suck at it forever. If you keep going and learning and trying and making those mistakes and learning from them and you're going to be better at that specific thing next time. So giving up too soon is a huge mistake, not just in Amazon, but just in life in general. So a little life advice, I guess. (laughs) That's perfect for people who are listening. Definitely. If you are going to start on Amazon, don't give up, keep learning. People do sometimes don't think of it as a real business. They think of it more of kind of a side hustle. I know people who do Amazon part-time and they do really good, but it's whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. So definitely don't go into it as, oh, I'm just going to do this on the side for like an hour a week. You're going to spend a lot more time on Amazon than you think. All right. So the next one we have is people make the mistake of not learning Keepa and understanding sales rank. And if you are a fan of the Paycheck to Day Check Reselling Podcast, you know we just had an interview with Matt Hines by Low Sell Hines on Instagram, who I refer to as the Keepa King because <laughs> he knows everything there is to know about Keepa. And if you are unfamiliar with that, it is a data tool that you use. If you are looking up an 
item to resell on Amazon, it will give you all the data. Amazon is very data driven. All the information you need to make a good buying decision is out there for you. Now that is what makes Amazon very unique because you are going to make better buying decisions, but you have to learn Keepa. Keepa is going to tell you the sales rank of an item. The lower the sales rank, the more frequent that item sells. It will tell you how many other sellers are on the listing. One really important thing that people don't understand if Amazon is on the listing. If Amazon's on the listing, the likelihood of you getting the buy box and getting sales is very unlikely unless they run out of stock. And those are just things of the Keepa chart. It'll show you the prices, what the lowest price has been, what the highest price has been. And really, if you're very, if you're an analytic person or you understand Keepa and how to read the data, you're going to be able to buy something and know that that item is going to make you money. Yep, absolutely. And when you, I saw that, that you had that, you know, the keep in sales ring thing down as a note on one of the mistakes that people make. I was kind of giggling to myself because Matt says that that's like the most important thing that you can learn when you start on Amazon is learning how to read a keep a chart. And I definitely agree. It's going to keep you from making all those bad mistakes, um, bad buying decisions. And I just wanted to mention really quick, um, I'm pretty sure we mentioned it in his episode as well, but Matt does have a Keepa course on his Gumroad. Uh, maybe we can link to that for him as well. I've taken that course. It is insanely detailed. It's super reasonably priced. He's like a Keepa professor in that course. So if you want to learn how to properly and accurately read a Keepa chart, like I highly, highly recommend just doing making a little investment and uh, taking some time and going through that course. All right. So the next mistake that we have for you guys is relying on other people in order to find products, whether that is from like a leads list that you're buying into or a group or something of that nature. Yes, those things can be helpful at times when you first start. But what I want you to think about is if you are in a group or like purchasing a list that let's say 500 other people are also a part of or purchasing, they're getting the same exact information that you are. So if there's like a particularly profitable item on that list, like it's very exciting and you want to run out and find it or order it. So do everyone else that is a part of that group or a part of that list. They're also going to be going out and finding that item or ordering it and sending it into Amazon. Now you might go from having, you know, like two or three sellers on that product, on that listing. We'll be realistic for this example. Not all 500 are going to go, but let's just say 100 of the people go out and buy that item and they send it into Amazon. That's a problem. (laughs) And then you're always going to have people that tank the price. There's going to be a race to the bottom because people are, are just not patient enough. They want to be the person that gets the buy box. They want to have the lowest, they want to sell their items first and make whatever profit they can. So everyone will lower their price even by a little bit, by a, a couple cents here and there, but that's how items tank and they become completely not a profitable item. Um, So that's, you know, something to keep in mind. They can be helpful. And Liz and I were both part of one at one point. But what I found really valuable is learning how to find the items that they were finding 
um, and use that, you know, for myself. So learning how to find the good items that maybe aren't on a leads list yet um, and looking for those and then branching off of, well, if this item is popular and doing well, then what else related to this item would be popular and doing well? Maybe there's a part to that item or an addition to that item that you can purchase and sell on Amazon also. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Like I had two <laughs> thoughts for this one. And the first was, it's not that we're saying not join a leads group or not buy leads or leads list. It's why are those leads on there to begin with? So it's really the mistake people make is just relying on others to find the inventory for them instead of learning how to sell on Amazon. That's what's going to help you in the long run. Uh, another thought I had as well is when you do have these items where you have a lot of people that are gonna possibly be selling them, definitely that's where Keepa comes into play. When you are going to rebuy those items, if it's a hot one on the leads list and you keep finding more, don't just keep buying them, recheck Keepa look to see how many sellers are on there because if you got into it early and you were able to sell out of all of your items and then you found more what keepa looked like at the time when you originally found it is going to look completely different than the second time you find that item so not just relying on the leads but also rechecking them is very helpful as well great point another mistake people make when they are selling on amazon is they don't invest in software one software would be keepa Another one's going to be Inventory Lab. That's a really good one and very popular with a lot of the bigger sellers. It's going to help you be able to create shipments faster. And that's another thing that you want to get into with Amazon is creating a process of how you do things. And you need software. A lot of people look at how much the software costs. I believe Inventory Labs is maybe $80 a month, if I'm not mistaken. If you're going to do online arbitrage, maybe you're going to do tactical arbitrage. That's a software. Those are things that you are going to need to spend to help your business grow. Without those, you might not be able to grow as fast. Another software which we use is called Gatita. And a lot of people don't know this one. A lot of people are familiar with uh, Refunds Manager. And what Gatita does is they go into your Amazon seller account, you grant them permissions. They look at different shipments that you have or returns and they open cases on your behalf and they end up getting you money back. And Casey and I have used it and we've gotten almost $1,700 back where if we weren't using their service, we would have never known that we were owed that money. It's because Amazon might have, uh, when they were receiving the shipment, maybe something happened, boxes were damaged, product was damaged, but we don't know how to look for that stuff. So Gatita is actually made up with ex-Amazon employees. So they kind of know the back end. With Gatita, whatever they get you reimbursed, you give them a certain percentage because you are using their software and they are doing the work for you on the back end. But that's one thing where we don't have to do it. So we don't have to spend that time opening up cases. Uh, we do have a link in our link tree where if you do sign up for Katita and use the link, you'll get your first $400 free where you don't have to uh, pay the percentage towards the service. Wow, that's awesome. I had no idea that existed. You learn something new every day around here. 
All right. So the next mistake that we have for you guys is not knowing the difference between uh, FBA and FBM. So fulfilled by Amazon or fulfilled by merchant and how they work and the fees and all that stuff. There are different fees if you send off a box of inventory to Amazon and then they handle all the customer service and filling those orders for you and shipping them out. There are different fees for that versus if you keep the inventory at your house and when a sale comes in, you package it up and send it out to the customer yourself. So the fulfilled by fulfilled by merchant, I think a lot of people don't know what to do next. It becomes easy to just ship things into Amazon and do FBA. Once those items sells, they pick pack, ship it out for you. You don't have to do anything. I have saw in a reseller group, somebody sold something via FBM which is fulfilled by merchant. And they were like, what do I do next? Help. So a lot of people don't understand the difference and what you actually have to do. So if you sell an item, FBM, you have to go into your Amazon seller account. You have to buy the shipping. You have to put in the dimensions and the weight of that item and then choose the cheapest shipping. So sometimes you're not going to know. It's kind of like with selling on eBay. You won't know until your item sells where that item's going and how much the shipping's going to be. So I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand at first. There are benefits of doing FBM. Right now it's fourth quarter, so it's going to be holiday season. A lot of uh, sellers will do a lot more FBM because check-in times to send your items into Amazon is delayed during the holiday season. So you might have a hot item that you want to start selling, and maybe if you put it FBM and fulfill it yourself, you're going to get that item out faster than if it takes the time to create the shipment, ship it into Amazon, have them check it in, put it in stock in your seller account. So those are some some of the things that you should be aware of when you are choosing FBM versus FBA. All right, the next one, which Casey and I are very, uh, very knowledgeable about, and we have not made this mistake since, uh, but not knowing Amazon storage fees is huge, and then not understanding how Amazon fees work in general. Amazon storage fees, they are not in business to store your product. They are in business to sell your product. If you ship items in, you get all the detail in your seller account, how long that item's been in your Amazon seller account. If it gets past 60, 90 days, 120, 180, you're going to get charged storage fees. During Q4, it goes up almost $2 per cubic foot. And that was the huge mistake Casey and I made when we sold our private label products. We had them all land a huge order in November and December. Each month we got hit with $5,500 of storage fees, which was $11,000. It was an $11,000 mistake. So those are things be aware of. Make sure that you are paying attention to when Amazon sends out their news or their emails saying we are increasing storage fees. We're decreasing your how many you can send in because they do restrict how many you can send in during Q4. So just really being aware of that and then knowing what the Amazon FBA fees are going to be when you ship items in. When you're doing your research for an item, if you're scanning it and you're looking at the Keepa chart, don't just check the Keepa chart. You can use your seller account to then look at the revenue calculator and get an idea. If I ship this particular item in FBA, this is what I'm going to profit after everything. And you can also figure out what it's going to be for FBM. So then if you look at the revenue calculator, you're going to be able to see which one's going to be the most profitable, but also understanding that they're going to take their cut. They're your business partner. And with FBA, it could be up to 30 to 
36% of the sale price. All right. So the next mistake we have for you guys is when sellers only stick to one way of sourcing their inventory. I think it's ideal to branch out a little bit. Um, maybe you find retail arbitrage is the most fun and exciting but you could also expand and save some time and get more inventory if you added in online arbitrage or wholesale, trying to get some wholesale suppliers to add to your portfolio. Um, you can get more inventory in less time shipped right to your house or your warehouse instead of having to take the time to go out and source on your own doing retail arbitrage. I think it's good to have a mix of ways of sourcing and to be well-versed in those different ways. So then you're not making mistakes when you go and source that way, whether that's retail arbitrage or online arbitrage. Well, I can add something with that. COVID taught us a lot. So there was a lot of people that in 2020, they were 100% retail arbitrage. So they were going into the stores. Well, then that source dried out real quick. So mm -hmm. people were turning to online arbitrage. And I feel like when we interviewed Matt, he was kind of what, 80-20? So he did about 80% online arbitrage and then 20% retail arbitrage because he still loves the thrill of the hunt. He likes to take sourcing trips and drive down to Florida area and source along the way. But it's really good to diversify. You don't have to be, be doing, you know, going here and going there, but don't just stick to one source. Don't just stick to Walmart. And that's the only place that you go sourcing. Try to diversify because you never know when that is going to dry up. Exactly. Another mistake people make with Amazon, I feel, is they don't understand how you do need a lot of capital. With selling on eBay, you can have $100 and you can go out and you can buy that inventory. I feel like with Amazon, it's unrealistic to think that you can do Amazon with $100. Because with Amazon, you're feeding the beast. You're constantly having to send in inventory. They also hold back your funds a lot for returns. So that's something where if you put in all your $100, well, you're probably not going to see the profits come back until all of that, those items sell and they have held back what they feel is appropriate in case you get the returns down the road because Amazon has a huge return policy. We all know how it works. Anyone can ship back anything. And now during Q4, they also extend how long a customer has to return the item. So making sure that if you're going to start with Amazon, I would recommend if you're doing if you're doing private label, I feel like you need at least $10,000, but that's a different beast. And you can listen to our previous episode about private label. However, if you're going to do retail online arbitrage, I do feel like you need at least $1,000 yeah, or $500 to $1,000 just saved up because then you're also, you're going to have to pay for the software if you really want to do it right. So understanding that you're going to need the capital for Amazon, it's just way different than the other selling platforms. You said something about uh, doing it the right way, starting doing it the right way, which I think is really important to touch on. If you're going to start doing Amazon, you need to start doing it the right way from the very beginning, not like add these things in as you go. Let's say you only have $700 to start selling on Amazon. That's like a precious $700, you know? So if you make a bad buying decision because you didn't invest in Keepa right away, and then you send your stuff in to Amazon and all of a sudden you find out, well, crap, Amazon is actually on this listing or the price fluctuates based on season. Maybe it's a seasonal item or something of that nature. You know, you don't, you don't really know that based on just looking at 
the information that Amazon gives you. Doing it the right way, if it's worth it to you to start doing, like it's worth it to start doing the right way right off the bat. That's yeah, all I, mean, I want to say. I'm not saying that you need a lot of, I mean, you don't need thousands of dollars, but just be realistic with you're going to need the capital just because that's how Amazon works. I know a lot of people that start selling free books free books. They'll look Mm -hmm. on Marketplace, look for books. Books are a good way to break it into Amazon. However, if you really want to grow it to where it could be very profitable, you're going to need capital and you're going to need to invest in software. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people use the books to get into, you know, to build up like a little fund for Amazon. They use it, you know, the books to do that. And then they use other platforms to kind of build their little, you know, Amazon fund as well. And that's cool. Like that's exactly what I did. I used Poshmark and eBay to kind of build up a little bankroll to be able to invest in some products and the software to be able to do Amazon. Um, and that's totally fine too. You don't have to like, you know, wait till you inherit $10,000 to be able to jump in. Like that's not what we were saying. All right. The next thing that we have for you guys is that people tend to treat Amazon selling like a hobby instead of a business. And I think this probably comes from other resellers that sell on different platforms like eBay or Poshmark or Mercari, um, because maybe you did start as a hobby seller and you're selling some things around your house, but then it got to be like an obsession or something or like something that you're really into. And you're like, well, wow, I can make a ton of money doing this. And everyone's talking about Amazon. And it's really easy to get super excited about it, especially during Q4, watching all these sellers make an insane amount of money on toys and various holiday items. It's, it is, it's exciting. And you have like this fear of missing out. So then you want to jump in as well. But you need to make sure again, going back to if you're going to do something, do it the right way. How you do anything is how you do everything. I've said this like a million times, I feel like, but If you treat it like a hobby, it's only going to come back to you like it's a hobby. It's going to, you know, you have to be organized. You have to have your crap together. Um, You need to know what, you know, know what you're spending, know what the profit is. It's so much more detailed, I feel, than a lot of other platforms. And if you come from these other platforms and you haven't been organized, you haven't been keeping track of your receipts and you haven't, you know... Um, you don't have an accountant and all the, all of, there's so many different aspects to it. If you treat it like a business, it's going to um, act like a business in return. So whether that's profit or, you know, you're not going to be making as many mistakes or what have you. Yeah. And if, I don't think a lot of sellers realize when they first start that if you start making, I believe it's $10,000 or more, Amazon requires you to get business liability insurance mm-hmm. and they will make sure that you have it in your account and that you've uploaded your business certificate. So that's what we mean by there's just so many things with Amazon that it's very business based. You have to make sure you do have your systems in place. You're tracking your expenses. That's where like inventory lab and software like that comes in very handy because you can enter in all that information. And then when it comes time for taxes, you have everything in there that you need. But it's doing it right away, not just opening up a seller account and then all of a sudden you're going to be like, oh, wow, I made this much because that's kind of what happened with Casey and I. We started with books and once we got up to so much per month, we were like, oh, we can make some money doing this. And that was what did make us excited. But looking back, we should have done our due diligence and definitely started tracking stuff a lot sooner. But in our minds, we had never owned a business before. So it was a lot of learning to do. And that's where 
we're going through, well, here, here's the next one of the next mistakes I feel people make, which will then help what I was going to try to say. When you first start selling, you're not growing by learning new information. Mm -hmm. And if you go into Seller Central, they have Seller University, they've got all the videos you need, they send you news, they keep you up to date on things. And I feel like a lot of sellers don't take the time to go through those videos and learn. They're so helpful to go in and understand, okay, this is gonna be the fee for this category. This is the fee for that. This is the process that you need to even send in a shipment. They show you the workflow. They show you all the information that you really need to keep up with the Amazon changes because Amazon does change a lot. And I think a lot of sellers make the mistake of going onto YouTube and watching videos on how to sell. And a lot of those videos might have views, but they're outdated. They're three years old. And since then, Amazon has made so many changes when it comes to fees, storage limits, how you ship in your items, how they process returns and your inventory that's stranded or your inventory that is damaged. Like, what do you do? You have items in your seller account where you can't resell them. They're unfulfillable. What What's the process of getting them returned or disposing of them? So that's a big thing that sellers should do is take the time to go through the seller university and really learn how the platform works. Yeah, absolutely. I know when I first started selling on Amazon, I asked for help in sending out my first, you know, shipment to Amazon. And a couple of people were telling me, well, you click this button and then you click this button like that. I'm like, that button doesn't even exist. Like it's not there. Like when was the last time you logged in, man? You know, and then luckily Liz came to my rescue and helped me step-by-step send in the box. Even the people that um, had been selling on Amazon for a long time were telling me information that wasn't even relevant anymore. I'm like, I don't think that button's not there. My screen looks totally different than, you know, what you're telling me. So uh, yeah, that's really important. All right. So another mistake is, is when people do not outsource different tasks like the prep work, um, doing OA or online arbitrage research, different things that are, you know, kind of like menial tasks that might not be where your talent or where your genius lies. Like maybe it's in, you know, the sourcing, like you really have a knack for finding really profitable items or wholesale, you know, wholesalers that are willing to work with you. Maybe that's like where your niche is. Um, and you want to spend your time doing that because that's where you're going to turn a profit. And these other things like the prep work, packing things up, um, sending them out, that kind of stuff, or doing research on different items, um, like that, it's just kind of a time suck honestly, you know, it's part of what you have to do, but it's one of those things that you could outsource. And when you start to get to this point, like you might not be able to do that right off the bat when you start selling on Amazon, but there will come a time when your time becomes more valuable than the task that you're doing. And we talked about this uh, pretty extensively in the episode that we did with Matt by Sal Hines. If you go back and listen to that, I think very often resellers do not 
properly value their time and they're willing to do all of the tasks all by themselves because they don't know what else to do. And it really becomes uh, important and more valuable to your business to hire out help where you need it the most or with something that you're not particularly good at. So hiring out your weaknesses and focusing more on your talents is that is what is going to help grow your business exponentially. All right. There was a lot of information today on the mistakes that people do make. Some of them I have made myself, some of them Ashley made. But really in this episode, we wanted to, if you are interested in selling on Amazon, we want you to try it. It's definitely a really good business model, especially if you're a reseller, but also get you to think of ways that you can really turn those mistakes into success. And I think really being real with reselling and kind of knowing If you do make these mistakes, that that can definitely make your business suffer. On the other hand, learn from the mistakes that other people have made, and then that's going to help you be really successful for selling on Amazon. All right, guys, that's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Paycheck to Paycheck Reselling Podcast. Anything we mentioned in this episode will be linked down below in the show notes or description down below. Be sure to share this episode with anyone you think it will help and follow us on social media at P2D Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Keep working towards that day check.